You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hi, welcome to Catholic Saints. My name is Mary McGeehan. I work here at the Augustan Institute, and today I am joined on this episode with Dr. Liz Klein. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I was going to ask, what are your specialties here as a professor? What do you teach on? I teach the fathers and um, the creed and the sacraments. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. On this episode of Catholic Saints, we're going to talk and learn about the life of St. Malachi of Armagh. And we apologize in advance to any Gaelic speakers or Irish <laughs> people for pronouncing his name probably wrong. But I'm pretty sure it is Malachi, but Armagh, Armagh. We don't know. But we're thank not you. entirely sure. And uh, yeah, so St. I... Uh, Mary actually emailed me up at the beginning of this year asking which saints I might want to do for this show. And I said, you know, I want to do some Irish, English, and Scottish saints because there wasn't that many of them. But I mostly study the fathers. So St. Malachi was a real stretch for me because he's 12th century. Okay. Uh, and so this is about 400 to 500 years after anything that I really read about. So <laughs> it was a little stretch uh, doing St. Malachi. And I uh, read his life that we'll talk about, uh, written by St. Bernard of Clairvaux. And I thought I was just going to like tear through it. And there was a whole bunch of things. I was like, wait, what? They did what? What is this? And so I had to go find out like Fact what check. was going on in Ireland at the time. Uh, and I hope to share that with you because it's, it's very interesting stuff. So yes. uh, St. the dates of St. Malachi, he lived from 1094 to 1138. His feast day is November the 3rd. Okay. Uh, and he is remembered as a great reformer of Ireland. Mm. So you might wonder what needed to be reformed in Ireland in the 12th century. Yes, what was going on? <laughs> so uh, in the 12th century, Ireland had been kind of cut off from the continent for around 200 years because of Viking raids. And a lot of the... Um, Monasteries and centers of learning had kind of been destroyed. Some of the more ancient things, if you listen or watch a lot of these episodes, you might have heard about um, Iona and Lindisfarne and these kind of, um, you know, big, important monasteries in and near Ireland. Uh, a lot of those were destroyed by Vikings. Hmm. Uh, and so there's been kind of a disconnect in, in information. And so it seems that there's been a lot of local kind of habits cropping up. And it wasn't entirely clear. And I don't know that we actually know all the details of how things were in Ireland. Uh, but I thought I would just read one little uh, section from the life and one quick, Malachi. Yeah, quick go ahead. question: Why were the why were the Vikings threatened by these Catholic communities? What? Why were they wanting to destroy or oppress? I just think Vikings like to destroy and steal things. It's in their blood. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The, yeah, I mean, this is actually who if, they are. Well, if you read anything from the ancient period or the medieval period, I mean, there's just a lot of kings yep. killing each other, people fighting each other, stealing other people's property. Yes, it was the taking time each period. other as slaves. I mean, this is this is pretty common. But yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not. A sh I don't know any familiarity exactly about specifically no, Viking animosity towards Catholics, although I'm sh I'm sure it was there because they fought them for a long time. Yes. Um, okay, so Saint, just to give a bit of background to what I'm about to read, uh, Saint Malachi was said to be kind of a very pious child. He took it upon himself to be mentored by a kind of local hermit ascetic. Uh, and so he is ordained at 25, which is actually much earlier than he really was supposed to be ordained, and was elected bishop at 30. Wow. Uh, and so he's a bishop uh, at age 30, and he kind of shows up to the Episcopal See. And this is, this is uh, how the description is of what he finds. So it says, When he began to administer his office, the man of God understood that he had been sent not to men, but to beasts. 
Never before had he known the like in whatever depth of barbarism. Never had he found men so shameless in regard of morals, so dead in regard of rights, so impious in regard of faith, so barbarous in regard of laws, so stubborn in regard of discipline, so unclean in regard to life. They were Christian in name, in fact, pagans. There was no giving of tithes or first fruits, no entry into lawful marriages, no making of confessions. Nowhere could be found any who would seek uh, either seek penance or impose it. Ministers of the altar were exceedingly few, but indeed what need was there of more when even the few were almost in idleness and ease among the laity. Wow. So. Not great times. If you think of today and like bemoan that like nobody goes to confession and that we're not having that many vocations and that people are getting married outside the church and unaware (laughs) of proper marriage laws in the church, it seems like that is very Mm -hmm. much the case that uh, St. Malachi is walking into. Mm -hmm. So uh, I read this and I was like, okay, well. This is a very good lesson to begin with when we're studying anything in church history. I think it can be easy for us, easy for anyone in any time period to think that the problems we're facing are the worst they've ever been or they're unique. And of course, every time has its own challenges. But in the history of the church, there's been lots of times when things have not been great and things have been lapsed. And uh, people in the past, although they were generally maybe more religious than they are today, people have always been capable of living as if there is no God and living a lawless Mm -hmm. life and living Mm -hmm. without morality. This is always a choice that requires conversion. There is no like golden age of history where everybody Mm -hmm. is sort of a pious, God-fearing individual. It's just like... Humans are still humans. Yeah, this is kind of like not the case. So I I read this passage and I thought that that was just really interesting and almost kind of comical. But then as it was going on, St. Bernard mentions that there were laymen holding the office of bishop but without orders. And I was like, sorry, what? I was like, it doesn't even make any sense. You can't be a bishop without orders. So this was my attempt. I was like, oh, I'm just going to read this life really like quickly and find out all the stuff about St. Malachi. And I was like, okay, I have to like read the footnotes and figure out what's going on. So apparently um, it was an Irish custom, and this is mentioned by Bede a little bit, that a certain ecclesiastical area would be not governed so much by the bishop as by an abbot. Hmm. And so you kind of had a division sort of between like ecclesiastical authority, which rested with the abbot, and ecclesiastical dignity, which rested with the bishop. So obviously a bishop is the only one who can ordain. Uh, And often abbots were bishops, but not always. Okay, so this is kind of the case in some places, but it seems like at least in the place where Malachi is, maybe elsewhere in Ireland, there were laymen, married laymen with children holding this office of abbot um, or what they called a co-warp. So you have married Mm -hmm. men holding this kind of ecclesiastical authority office and even passing it on to their children. Wow. So by the time Malachi takes over, uh, he's bishop. Well, it's a little unclear if he's bishop or abbot and exactly how that all works. But there's um, a priest, a bishop named Celsus, who wants to kind of end this chain of married abbots who then pass the office on to their children. One quick question. What do you mean by the the authority versus the dignity? Right. So I mean that the abbots would have done things like, I don't know, would have been in charge of like the church's finances and would have been in charge of maybe like which priest was in which church or whatever. Like they had Mm -hmm. like the uh, sort of administrative authority, but they couldn't ordain because they weren't bishops. So a bishop still had the ecclesiastical dignity of Mm -hmm. being able to ordain and the the fullness of of ordination because these lay abbots, they weren't ordained. They weren't even priests. Um, so okay. you have the bishop before Malachi, whose name is Celsus. He wants to put an end to this. 
Uh, so he, after he gets the office inherited from his father, he lives celibate. He is ordained a bishop. So he's both bishop and abbot or co-orb and passes the office on to Malachi. So this is breaking the chain of just passing it on to your sons. So this is, puts Malachi in quite a difficult position because he's trying to break this chain of behavior apparently over 200 years hmm. of the church being governed in a different way and trying to bring it in conformity with the rest of the Catholic world yes. where the bishop is in charge of a diocese. Okay, fascinating. In a lawless culture in time uh, with a lot of adversity, only at the age 30 as well. Yeah, so, and this like kind of characterizes the whole life. He he has a lot of involvement in politics in difficult, very difficult political situations. So here he is trying to be the bishop of this area and there's a kind of usurper who doesn't want to, who wants to go back to the old way uh, and inha- like kind of have the family member inherit the office. He like steals this like staff, this like golden staff uh, and the insignias of office. And is like going around the countryside saying like he's in charge. And so like, Malachi is trying to like take over uh, and trying to kind of assert um, that the office of bishop also involves administration of the church and isn't just kind of like a dignity of office by which you're ordained. Anyway, this is all very complicated. <laughs> uh, and this this just happens when, like, if you read the Wikipedia article of a saint like I do, it says like, oh, he's an ecclesiastical reformer in Ireland and he was the bishop of such and such a place. And I'm like, great. And then I get to reading the life and you're like, actually, this is really, really complicated. And mm-hmm. it's hard being so distant from the time period to kind of reconstruct how difficult the political situation was. But it seems to me in that it's like a very important lesson because you can be a saint in very difficult political circumstances Mm -hmm. uh, and be following the Lord. But this takes a lot of patience and time. uh, And yeah, a lot of non-ideal circumstances have presided in the past Mm -hmm. um, in in much any, like this seems like a lot worse situation than I'm I'm aware of in recent church history uh, that he had to deal with. So he does this. He succeeds in kind of putting his diocese in order in getting people to tithe, go to confession, have lawful marriages, putting the bishop kind of um, back in charge of the see. But Malachi goes further than that, and he's trying to kind of put the whole Church of Ireland in order. Hmm. Um, and so he becomes the papal legate. What does that travels mean? to Rome. So it means that he is the one who is responsible for communicating between the Church of Ireland and Rome. Okay. The liaison. Yes. yes. The liaison okay. between uh, Ireland and Rome. And so trying to kind of give the Irish church its own autonomy, not under England, mm-hmm. not just kind of it's like its own thing. So trying to make it actually have the proper organization in order to do that. Because mm-hmm. if you have these kind of bishops who aren't in charge, there are more bishops than there are dioceses, confusing stuff's happening. Uh, and so he goes to Rome. Uh, to get the Pope to give them an archbishopric, to give them like a primacy so that they have their own kind of Irish church. So that's what he heads to Rome to do. And that is how he meets Bernard of Clairvaux. Okay. Was, ma- yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, she was mentioning she was going to read about from St. Bernard of Clairvaux, uh, who wrote about the life of St. Malachi. I was like, how do they know each other? One lives in Ireland, one's in France, I believe. How yes. do they even, how do their paths even cross? Yes. So. And so I actually thought the same thing because, as I said, 12th century Ireland is not my main area of expertise. So I was like, oh, Bernard wrote his life. That's so amazing. Because if you're not familiar with Bernard of Clairvaux, he was a very powerful churchman in this time, uh, a monastic reformer. And he is a doctor of the church called the Mellifluous Doctor. 
who's a great adjective. <laughs> honey sweet doctor. Wow. So to have someone who has honeyed words write your life, uh, that's that's a good thing. Thank so <laughs> yeah. So this life, if you know you want to go read it, it's actually free online. Saint Bernard's Life of Saint Malachy. Uh, you can just Google it. It's on like Project Gutenberg. It's it's free. It's a translation from the 1920s. And it is mellifluous. It's very beautifully written. Like you cannot even believe the number of scriptural citations that Bernard kind of just like weaves into it. Wow. Uh, okay. So he this is how he meets Bernard is because he's on his way to Rome. He stops in Clairvaux. Why does he stop in Clairvaux? Uh, because the Pope is powerful and all, but they're, but monastics have a certain uh, power and authority of their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and St. Bernard is one of the most respected, most powerful churchmen. So he stops to get St. Bernard's blessing on his mission so that he can tell the Pope, I have been to Bernard, and Bernard agrees with me. Uh, in fact, the Pope after um, Malachi, the next one, I think, I can't remember the name of the Pope that he's going to see, but Pope Eugenius III is the one after, was actually one of Bernard's students and monks. Oh, interesting. So there's a lot of power connection between Clairvaux and Rome. So that's how he meets Bernard. Okay. So he stops on the way to Rome. Um, and be- Mal- Yeah, go ahead. They become good friends, apparently. They become good friends, apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah, and St. Malachi stops there twice. So he goes to, he goes to Rome twice. Uh, and on his return home the second time, he dies at Clairvaux okay. with St. Bernard. Wow. Yeah, that so is there's, deep friendship. Yeah. So. so there's a really beautiful description of St. Malachi's death that yes. St. Bernard was actually present at at the end of this life. Uh, and it's – you're kind of jumping ahead to the end of the life. That's okay. Uh, he's – it's – yeah, it's very beautiful. And St. Malachi fore, foretold his death – in a sense, because people asked him, like, mm-hmm. if you could have your pick, when when would you die and how would you die? And he said he would die in Clairvaux on All Souls Day. And that's he did. He died in Clairvaux on All Souls Day, yeah. uh, which is, I don't know that in of itself, that's a kind of cool piety to want to die on All Souls Day. It's not like the day I would pick necessarily. I'd be like Easter Sunday yes. after I've been to Mass, make sure everything's like checked out. Right. But he wants to die on the day that he knows that souls are going to be prayed for. And so... As a kind of humility, not on All Saints Day, but to die on All Souls wow, Day. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful depiction of humility. I didn't think about that. And so he's actually ends up being buried beside Bernard um, in the same place. And then after the dissolutions of the monastery in France, their relics are kind of mixed, apparently. So I thought that was a really cool image of the whole thing, the fact that Bernard wrote his life and that Malachi is trying to like set Ireland in order and trying to go to Rome to find out what they're supposed to do is also a really beautiful image of the Catholicity of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously these are two very different people, but they were able to speak to each other in Latin, presumably, because they're trained so. A lot of travel, a lot of... Um, division really and difficulty in the church uh, and yet two people who got along well and helped each other in their missions and exchanged letters and ultimately are buried together and so to have this great Irish reformer kind of buried with this great French monastic uh, I don't know I just think that's a cool image of the church great sign of uh, unity solidarity but and also just that notion of of God raises saints not alone in pairs or in some form of community that they were able to, in small ways, encourage each other in their particular missions. Yeah, so. and yeah, and Saint Bernard, I'm sure, was a great encouragement to Saint Malachi because it can't, it can't have been easy. I mean, this is a really big project to undergo. Some of the historians call this not a kind of a Irish revolution because of the difficulty in overcoming the differences in customs, either that both existed before, but then grew even greater kind of after this separation from other Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a group of Irish churchmen who want to come into conformity with Rome, but I'm sure that that wasn't 
everybody. And so this this very great difficulty of overcoming a lot of inertia and local custom and apparently people who have really fallen away from uh, the practice of their faith. Yes, and the tradition. And the culture is so contagious, too. It seems as if it if it's popular, popular culture, piety, it almost spreads pervasively in a negative way. Uh, you did mention, though, he was successful in yeah. creating some reform. Can you elaborate more on the, did the Pope grant his request? Um, yes. What yeah. the consequences? Right. So, so he was, I mean, um, Berner doesn't go into a lot of detail on how he exactly achieved this, but he apparently was successful in gaining control of his diocese, having bishops be the kind of ruler in their own diocese, although he didn't do that by himself, obviously, uh, and reestablishing regular confession, regular marriages, uh, and sort of the general morality mm -hmm. and setup of the laity that he was successful. And yes, he was successful in making Armagh, is the, where <laughs> is he named for, um, the sort of primacy of all Ireland and the, and the seat of the Irish church. So this is actually true today, which I did not know. Uh, this is actually still the head of the Irish church is hmm. in Armagh, which okay. is a town of 15,000 people. It's not very big, um, but because of this historical, the historical importance of the city, uh, and that's where the Pope granted sort of the primacy of Ireland to reside, that's still where the head of the Irish church resides, and it's in Northern Ireland today. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So apparently there was a long heated debate between Dublin and Armagh, but Armagh okay. won out, even though it's now a very small city. Yes. So there's like two giant cathedrals in this small town, uh, 15,000 people. And ironically, it is in the northern part of Ireland that is now more traditionally Protestant. Yes, yeah, Catholic so it's still there, well. and that's still considered sort of the, the papal legate, the liaison of, from the Pope to Ireland still resides in. Let's go on a pilgrimage there. That sounds yeah, wonderful. Maybe. That sounds great. <laughs> I think there's a lot of pilgrimages that could come out of these Celtic <laughs> saints. True. Yeah, another one of the one, uh, saints that I did from the same kind of region, North Umbria, Cuthbert. Apparently there's like a Cuthbert's Way that has okay. a pilgrimage. So Let's maybe we can make a St. Malachy Way. Make, yes. <laughs> make pilgrimage from Armagh to Rome. I mean, it sounds like a very important location. Is what yeah, I'm stop hearing. in Clairvaux. Yeah. Oh, yes. Was it their grave yeah. site? Yeah, I'm not sure if they're, I think their relics are dispersed now. Okay. Um, because of, yeah, his, history yeah. of relics in France, but but apparently mixed. Yeah. So we can go see them, see them both. We touched on a lot of spiritual applications already um, with the with his life, looking to him for inspiration for our own today, um, especially that encouragement in times of adversity. Don't feel as if it is this novel part of time in history that often we have saints who have overcome similar situations that we might be in today. Are there other spiritual applications or you know legacies that he has gifted the church by his life today? Yeah, I mean, along those lines, the catechism says that the church is always in need of reform. Uh, and I think it's easy for us to say that, but not actually intuit it uh, mm -hmm. and to have a sense, to have a really healthy sense of the fact that the church is the result of the divine will of God. God makes the church, but it's also full of human beings uh, and that we need to really be vigilant about the church, about what's going on in the church and never think, never go into the lazy idea of there's just some perfect time that we can return to. Uh, and if we just went back to that, everything would be perfect. Mm -hmm. That we live in time, we're creatures of time and space, and the church is always in need of a reform and a renewal of her identity in every successive age. And that, that also often takes a lifetime uh, and really heroic effort on the part of someone like uh, St. Malachi, the number of you know, kings he dealt with and nobles and other bishops and the traveling that he did. Uh, that And, you know, 
I, th I think it's the case that he died maybe before he even saw the Paul, the archbishopric established in Ireland, even though it was yeah. his work. And that's so often the case um, with our own lives and with the lives of the saints that what they labor for, we in retrospect can see that is what heroic and great work it was, but in its own time is often very thankless. And we don't often see the fruits that we would like to see from it. Yes. Often in retrospect, we can see, oh yes, the he did reform Ireland. Yeah. And if I'm hearing this properly, the life, his life and a lot of what he reformed, it is interesting how through hierarchical organization was greater freedom for the church and greater uh, de devotion. And so sometimes that's just a, a, a thought that, or a principle that, our world doesn't believe that in hierarchy can lead to freedom. Yes, and absolutely. And a simpl simplification of that. Yes, but. don't underestimate the institutional church. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yes. Like it does, there are lots of problems with the institutional church. Institutions can be abused. People in power can abuse their power, absolutely. But when you don't have an institutional structure, it's chaos and people can't thrive. You can't have vocations. You can't have priests at the right parishes. You can't have people getting married properly if nobody knows the rules and nobody's like quite in charge. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I think that we can... Yeah, institution has like a very bad kind of name right now. Uh, but there is a reason that Jesus founded his church on a particular people and gave it like a management system uh, because human beings can't really thrive apart from it. Right, in the chaos. Yes. And that reminder that we are sent to a particular time and place for a particular mission um, by the Lord to take encouragement in that. Even if we think, you know why do I live in this country? Why do I live at this time? Why are with these people, these people who are more beasts, more men than beasts, apparently, according to St. Malachi. But he loved them and he served them and he got everything in order. So the gift of administration is a gift that I think is often unseen. But if you've ever worked for a good administrator, you know what an amazing blessing this is that God can give his church people who know how to get the paperwork done, know how to process things correctly at Rome, yes. know how to have a well-run ship because that makes everybody else thrive. It is true. It's very true. Thank you. Is there any other nuggets as you're reading the life that you wanted to share? No. If you okay. want to read a very beautifully written life, go look up the life of St. Malachi by Bernard of Clairvaux and see if you like it. Yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your research um, and reflection on the saint. Thank you for joining. And St. Malachi pray for us. Thank you for being a dedicated listener to the Catholic Saints podcast. Your support truly uplifts us. For those seeking additional thought-provoking content, go to formed.org. It's a platform brimming with resources, including insightful videos that align seamlessly with our podcast themes. If you're finding value in our podcast, please consider taking a moment to leave us a review. Your feedback serves as a cornerstone for our growth and outreach.